To fuck around is human. To find out is divine. This is the I Refuse Podcast. To the I Refuse Podcast, Season 5. It is. I'm a not often guest. I don't know how you roll with this thing. It is I, Mr. Fox of the I Refuse Podcast, with a very special guest, season five. Very special guest. In many, many ways. If you have not noticed by the sound of his voice, he is the voice you hear on the intro of every episode this season. Yeah, you hookers. So. Am I allowed to say hooker? You can say hooker on TV. You can say titty on TV. So, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, I know. Before I get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, before we get into the boys coming for Biden, Mm -hmm. Trader Joe's as they call them, which will be part of the title of this episode. I hope so. So since the the first episode, you know, we had the 9-11 anniversary. Right. Um, 9-11 is one of those uh, turning moments. Um, you know, there's there's probably like a lengthy list at this point in history where we have moments that are just like, they're fixed things will never go back to the way things right. were. They're, they're um, I was 19. Actually, yeah, I was 18 going on... No, I was 19 by the time 9-11 happened. Yes. I was about a month or so into what was supposed to be a six or eight week... Um, third world, third country national duty kind of thing. Just basically being like an augmentee to security, mm-hmm. f- to security forces, military police in, Ku- in Kuwait. Um, we were just doing, you know, regular eight-hour shifts, um, watching and securing, you know, Iraqis and Kuwaitis that were on base doing, you know, construction stuff. Um, they're kind of supervising, making sure they're staying where they're supposed to. And and doing what they're supposed yeah. to do. You know, not problematic. You know, very civil, hardworking people. Right. Um, like my first in-person, first exposure to like a different world, right? Um, so that was going pretty well. Um, we had just did... Eight hours on 9-11. It was, I think, it was like 5, 5.30 in the evening okay. over there. Somebody ran into the tent and said, you know, two planes just went into the towers. And I'm like, the fuck you, the fuck you mean? Like, I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. So we all ran into the day room. And by that point, um... They kept replaying the, the the debris and the smoke filling the streets. Right. Um, and then kind of circling back to 
you know, the first plane hitting the first tower, then, you know, the second plane hitting the second tower. Um, and it was from, like, the same angle to where it almost looked like the second plane was like a, a silhouette of, like, a toy plane almost. So I was like, I don't, I didn't know what to feel at that moment. I didn't know what it meant. Um, I didn't know what the path was going forward. Um, but definitely things changed within the first 12 hours. Oh, yeah. Um, as far as, you know, our off-base privileges were very restricted. You know, they, they complete base shutdown, longer shifts. Everybody had to be armed with guns. Um, there was little to no... They even uh, drew back or, you know, um, the the presence of the third country nationals was even um, minimized a little bit. You know, it, it wasn't the opportunities that we had as far as sites to work on was minimized. Um, and we were kind of in a way, uh, reposition to be at like security checkpoints with the military police and doing like vehicle checks and all that other stuff. Um, there was one off base post at the airport. Um, they, they took that back. Uh, we weren't even, we weren't, um, that was not an opportunity anymore to go and like work that detail out there, which was, which made sense because you had to actually like leave town and like oh, that was ride. Not on base. No, that was miles and miles across the desert. Oh, okay. Um, so th- so things definitely changed. Um, things definitely changed. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Where it was just like, oh. This this was some serious shit. And I was still over there well well into the Bush ordering the strikes. So you you went there on a eight week thing. Yeah, it was an, it, it was originally for like two months. It was like August to early October. Right. But when nine eleven happened, there they had to like even change how they brought in relief. How how long did you end up? Um, probably like two or three more weeks longer. So I was there until mid to late October. Okay. But there was there were weeks where they weren't telling us anything. Like, are we like what's going on? Are we leaving one time? Is there anybody coming in? Right. Um, they weren't telling us shit. Yeah. Um, and you know, other people that I worked with over there, you know, were kind of like staying strong and telling themselves, oh, it's nothing, it'll blow over and it'll be fine. And all of a sudden, and I'm just like, look, there's literally nothing around the perimeter, at least on our side of the base that would stop forces from coming over because you come out the tent at night and you look like to the left and there's nothing but sand. Right. There isn't like an electric fence. There isn't like six feet barrier walls or anything. It's literally like, 
It's just like the the concrete barriers you see on the on the highway. Um, so my black ass first time out the country. Only you've been to two other countries on the way here ever in life. Right. Um, three days ago you were. <laughs> right. Three days ago I was at, in my dorm room right? in my yeah at my base, which had been like home for like a year maybe. First time out the country, kind of want to go back. Um, so I, I didn't know, but. So what was it like? Sorry, I'm. No, you're no, you're fine. Fall into my old job. Um, <laughs> what was it like in that moment? So you you went there with a specific like time frame. You kind of had a rough idea of time, right? So you knew you were going to be home before Halloween, right? More or less. What was it like when it got quiet and you didn't have information and you're like, okay, so are we leaving on time? You said that. Or what? Like, what was it like to be in this entirely foreign environment? In every, pretty much every possible sense of the word, other than the people you were there with. What was it like to be there and also not suddenly go from knowing where the exit was to being like, okay, I have no idea at this point. Like, you weren't given any information. You're like in this limbo. Like, you touched on that but. What was it like? What was it like to be like, am I going to be here a year? Am I going to be here? Am I leaving tomorrow? Am I leaving in a week? Like, what was what was going through your head? Well, definitely that. Um, but I will say being with a group of people and not being by myself definitely helped. Sure. Um, now, not to dramatize or anything or give the impression that, oh, you know, once... The buildings fell. It went into like World War Three or anything. Um, but I will say that like at at some point, for whatever reason, I was kind of at peace and at ease with it. Um, not to say that I was hyperventilating or anything, um, but I, I definitely will say it's probably because I didn't know much. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know the impact of 9-11 at that time. Um, I just knew that, oh, okay, Bush is ordering some airstrikes. And being this, being the younger brother of a person that served in the Persian Gulf War. So, Gulf War. Um, I was from what I saw in the news from that time. This this was kind of like nothing different, um, and you know I probably could have stressed myself out where I was just like, oh, you know, it's it's really going to be a shitstorm. But it's like at that time, I think we had already was Saddam Hussein still alive. Yeah, things were definitely different um, compared to, like, the early 90s. Um, and I think my position, our position on the base was so far back and so deep that 
any sense of danger would have probably not made it to us. Okay, so you were well away from the conflict. Yeah, and and Clyde's kept like, by that point in the assignment, I never got a sense that there was a problem. Right. Like, this wasn't like Zero Dark Thirty. So other than having to have a sidearm and restrictions on your movement outside of work, Work was work. Like, you were doing essentially the same stuff you were doing on September 10th. Yeah, we were the same, the same process. Get up, do your, your usual routine. You know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner was whenever it was. Did your um, hours or 10 hours or 12 hours? Or did, did the 12 hours. Um, and we... We still had our downtime at night. Like, we still hung out and stuff after that. So it wasn't like, it wasn't a change socially. I mean, we were way more aware. And, you know, there were a couple of people that were just a little bit more amped about Mm -hmm. things um, and was a little bit too serious about some things. Um, But other than that, like, I didn't... At some point, it, it, I just didn't feel at danger. Um, well, and they didn't... Sense. Like, I mean, I know for us here, there was a general nationwide sense of go get them. You know, we were watching... What were we, watch? we were watching something the other night related to... Uh, last night related to this. And the... Um, and it, it accurately portrayed the overall sense of like go figure out who did this and then go deal with it like was it the same there as a member of the military was the vibe the same or I mean I assume I'm assuming having not served and not been in the military so I don't have a, a baseline but is there a difference just in an everyday world where nothing dramatic is occurring I assume there's a the baseline everyday life is a little bit different if you're serving in the military versus like you know doing what I was doing at the time, which was like going and talking on the radio for a living, you know. So, like, I'm I'm trying to get a sense because this is an interesting conversation. Yeah. So, I will say that any person that goes into the military. Um, whether it's for college or whether it's to continue the line in the family. Um, Cause you, you also have those kind of people too that are like my, yeah, like my dad's a chief master sergeant or my dad's a colonel. And I've come across both, you know, you have those people that were like me that are just like, I really just came in to go to college. I didn't prepare for any of this, but for me, like, college was the primary reason for me going into the Air Force. Um, but I also adjust and deal with change pretty pretty decently. Like, I wasn't yeah. running around the base like, oh, my God, they're going to kill us now. You Take me wrong. out. Like, um, some people were... There were some people that came off very spoiled and very bratty. I'm good on... Um, some people there was I don't there wasn't in 
to my knowledge, any kind of meltdowns to where people had to get carried out or right. anything like that. Um, some some people, the feeling I got across the board was that we knew what we were, we were there, what we were there to do, and we knew the promise we made when we went to enlist. Um, and I'm sure personally and privately people dealt with it in their own kind of way. Um, people probably turned it off. Like they know it's there. Um, but they don't let it break their focus. Um, and they probably had like a certain level of faith or hope to get them through it. Um, you know, I wasn't over there with um, a bunch of novice people. There were probably people over there that had been in a good five or ten years. You had some, you had some reservists that um, were in at least ten or fifteen years. Um, you even had some some National Guard um, who are used who are usually doing the two weekend thing or however that goes. Um, so you just had like different levels of experience and different levels of, um, I guess, adjusting to a change in structure or adjusting to a change in um, objective and not really going crazy about it. Like there was one guy that I think he cracked a little bit, um, which threw everybody else in the day room off. It was just like... And what it it was it was something as simple as I think the he wanted them to turn the music down or something. Was he? And um, he been in for service. I I don't know. He was there with us, but we were all in the day room and having a good time, had the music on and stuff. He he got into it with somebody in the tent, and during the course of the argument, he started slapping himself. He was like, oh, okay. And then, like, later on, as we cro- as I crossed paths with him and stuff, he kept to himself more, only said probably, like, one or two words, um, and had, like, a stern look on his face all the time. But that, to my knowledge, that never migrated into a bigger situation to where security police had to like come in and drag them out and stuff. Um, so it was just like, I think the overall sense was everybody knew what they were there for and they didn't let it get to them. They were just like, Oh, it's just another day. Um, and nobody expressed any kind of fear or any kind of, anxiety um it was just like people just kept going from day to day so so it was kind of a sense of like we signed up for to to provide this service to our country and even though that wasn't what we anticipated we went into it knowing that what was about to occur was gonna potentially be a thing so it was, it was acknowledgement, recognition that, like, okay, this was the risk. It could have been essentially an office job, but that's not what happened in the timeline. 
It's it's a general pretty close here. Yeah. So everyone was resigned, like recognized that that was what the chant that can always happen. Yeah, and and I think they they also were aware that we weren't there to be like the front line on the front line of what turned out to be um Operation Enduring Freedom, mm-hmm. um, which was like the infancy stages of that whole thing that went on for about 10, 15 years. Right. Um, they, I think we were all aware that our, our, um, our role was pretty much limited to just watching these third country nationals and, you know, the, the army rangers and the security police were trained and built to do all the heavy shit. If it, if things went crazy. Um, so I think it was that too. And a lot of us also were probably aware that we're not, necessarily in the danger zone Um, because the airstrikes were happening in I think Pakistan Afghanistan um, so which I believe is was east of us I think yeah because Kuwait is closer to the middle Saudi Arabia East of East of Saudi Arabia, but there. Um, so 9/11 for me, that's where I was. Um, coming life back home, like coming back. Um, really, it wasn't much of an adjustment. Um, sure, they like I wouldn't say they threatened us with you know, the possibility that any of us can go. Um, but there were definitely some, like, old-school, like, enlisted folks that were just, like, so gun-ho and trying to, like, reiterate, oh, you know, it's not just, it's not just the 8 to 4 or 8 to 5, you guys are 24-7 and stuff like that. And it wasn't really until later that I got looped into what's called augmentee duty, which was, you know, filling in um, for military police since they were starting for about two or three years um, shipping them off to the Middle East and and all that other stuff to support all that. Um, But other than that, it was just business as usual um, at the home base. It was just your normal admin work that you did before. And... And they were also pulling people from different uh, squadrons and organizations on base to go do the assignments in the Middle East, whatever that was. Um, And we lost some people, like, not to, like, death and war and stuff, but they had, people were getting longer assignments abroad. So they'd go there for a short term and then ended up... Um, Right. Long term? Okay. 
some people maybe six months at the earliest. Um, some people were gone for at least two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that de- things were definitely different on that on that piece. Um, and then probably by two thousand three, two thousand four, they started doing. Um, uh, I think it's called retention holds where. They weren't, um, they were keeping people from, um, leaving the Air Force or something like that. Like retiring or just... No, just, just, uh, leaving the, the, the Air Force. Like, they, they, um, it was something like that. I didn't run into any issue like that, and I think I was actually considering re-enlisting, um... Because there were so many people, by that point, two years in, there was just um, so many people from the base, from from domestic bases, like being sent over there. Right. And there was there wasn't like a backfill or anything like that. So they were kind of, in a way, extending people's enlistments, um, not by long, maybe like up to about six months, um, until things kind of sorted itself out because it was from a personnel from a personnel standpoint it was like a free a free fall Mm -hmm. for a couple years um was that because you had people ending their term like what they agreed to when they enlisted and then also people who had gotten shipped out so there were kind of people who were in between that had to kind of keep it going here operationally is that what you're is that what I'm understanding no what it was is that people's um, international assignments when they got those assignments from their domestic bases there wasn't an end date on those assignments oh so you're gonna go and you're gonna stay until we tell you to come home um, so it was, it was, so it was definitely one of those cases of, you know, you go when you, when they tell you to go right. and you're there however and, long, this, until de- they tell you to come back. depending on the specialty code. Yes. Right. Um, gotcha. so that was 9-11 for me. What was 9-11 for you? So for me, like, so this is 22 years ago. I was working in radio. I was programming a radio station here in what is my hometown and your adopted hometown. Um, And I had gotten out. I was doing afternoon. I was on the air in the afternoon, so I didn't have to be at work before 10. And so my mom called me. Like, literally, she called me while I was in the shower and then called me, like, literally as I walked out of the bathroom having dried off and all that. And she's like, a plane just hit the World Trade Center and it sounds like it was a small plane. This was like really early. This was like 8.15. Like right after it happened. So between like, what was it, 8.45 and 9 o'clock. 
like I was getting out of the shower and she called like as I'm like what <laughs> trying to go to work I know I'm, I'm my mom have been together and I've been together a long time but um like so we I was like okay I, I don't know what you're like okay so I'm in the car driving to work and the second plane happens and I'm listening to the coverage from the first plane and it was crazy it was like what the hell's going on and I I got to work and then the plane hit the Pentagon and by that point I, I worked at a music station I programmed a, a station that played pop for middle-aged women um, <laughs> for the best description of it a lot of Celine Dion at the time a lot of Celine Dion Michael Bolton um, so not our usual beat to cover news. So we figured out what was going on. We got our audio up and all that. And then the Pentagon. And we're like, okay, so this is a thing. And at some point in the day, I'm like looking outside. And I'm like, at that point, the ground stop had happened and nothing was flying. And it was so surreal because we're near D.C. in Baltimore. We're on a lot of major air travel routes. And, like, to not see a plane anywhere in a brilliant blue sky was totally surreal. But all day, just, like, broadcasting the news and trying to be connected to what was going on. Like, you had a whole different, probably even though it wasn't that intense, probably more intense because you didn't know what the hell was going on. And you were much more in danger than we were here in the middle of Maryland at that moment in time. For us, it was the reality of, like, there's no planes in the air, there's no anything going on, like, it was quiet. There were the number of times we all, like, a number of us would be outside, like, just trying to get some fresh air and cope and think about what was going on. So it was really interesting to hear you talk about your experience being someone in, in military service at the time that literally the whole world changed. It was, it was a singular point. It was a fixed point in time. And there are a lot of them, but there aren't that many in our national history, I think, that are as bright in the timeline. Like, prior to that, maybe Watergate? Maybe. Like, politically speaking. I mean, there's been others, but, like, Watergate, both Kennedy assassinations, Martin Luther King, the Vietnam War, Korean War, and so on back in the time. But. So, you were in New York by that time? No, I was home. In 9-11? In the mid-90s. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I shopped in the shopping mall that was in, underground below one and two World Trade Center numerous times. Numerous times. Okay, so where you lived in the 90s? Yeah, where, where, yes, where was that in relation to the World Trade Center? I lived in a building on the corner of 53rd, uh, Street and 8th Avenue. 
I was uh, all right. So for people who have never or don't know New York, a block away from the Ed Sullivan Theater where the Late Show with David Letterman was filmed, was shot every night. The num like, if you watched that show when David Letterman did it, and in the nineties, there was a deli he would play around with called the Hello Deli. And it's escaped me. The owner was a frequent pers personality on Letterman's show. I got thrown out of the Hello Deli literally in the middle of eating a lunch, eating my lunch, and they had really good food, and they were a half half a block from where I lived. So I was there a lot. And me and a friend were like, oh, yeah, let's go to Hello Deli. Because why not? It's a half a block away and it's good food. And we're sitting there eating and like this dude, random dude, you have to leave. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? We just bought our food. We're sitting here eating. No, Letterman wants to film. You have to leave. I'm like, okay. I mean, which was kind of a cool reason to be thrown out of the place, right? I mean, it was kind of cool. Also saw Mel Gibson ride a horse into the Ed Sullivan <laughs> down Broadway and literally in the front doors of the theater. So, this is how we remember 9-11. Um, this anniversary is the 22nd anniversary. A very dark day. Speaking of dark days, the boys are trying to come for Biden. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this. Can I just say, I'm going to yes, jump right into this. <clears throat> Kevin McCarthy is Marjorie Taylor Greene's bitch. Whoops, whoops, whoops. I like that. So here's the thing. McCarthy is not into this. McCarthy is very into, though, being the third person in line in the line of succession. Let's just be direct. This bitch, and I'm assuming because he is a bitch, uh, probably with a gun to his head. Sorry, I get a little passionate. I saw you turn it down. Um, to appease and try to keep his position of significant power, I mean, he is the third person in line to run the whole, you know, crack house that we all live in. Um, this whole country is a crack house. That's what I'm saying. I feel, sorry, Canada. Canada's probably like, like we I'm live Canada. above <laughs> a crack house. How did this happen? Right. We have fresh air, the greenest grass, they, and the happiest people. That speak more than one language. Monarchy in the UK. Isn't that something? Oh well, they need to, they need to change that shit. All right, so McCarthy cut a deal with fluffy pants over there, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Not fluffy pants. <laughs> child abuser Matt Gates from Florida, who you know, if you don't know, allegedly was like banging the rocks together someone significantly younger than him and below the age of majority. Uh, and the rest of the fascist right... Netbrazers.com. So ...deal, essentially, with them. We will eventually find out to the level he sold his soul to the devil uh, for this. Because he wasn't originally... He was like, no, like you have to show me there's a reason. 
So clearly, someone said, you do it, or we're going to oust you, because part of his deal, putting on my political hat, part of his deal to get the job he currently has with the fascist right was to agree that any one member of his caucus, the Republican Party, essentially, in the House, can call a vote of no confidence and oust him. That, that's, that's the reason right now he's chosen to allow this. Like, to be clear, he is basically bowing down to the far right. That's what I read, too. Um, And, you know, I'm no um, impeachment subject matter expert. But I will say that from where I sit and stand, Mr. Fox, the I Refuse podcast, welcome to the lemonade stand that is the I Refuse podcast, that... These impeachment inquiries and impeachment, the path to impeachment trials and all that stuff, smoke and mirrors, witch hunt, and a reflection of Republicans' attempts to take down, you know, Democrats any way that they possibly can. Now, I say that to say this with my, you know, consideration that... Neither party is clean. Neither party is is right or anything. You know, you have some, you know, there's a party over here that's like slick talking, double talking, very charming, um, very, is very well known to do a bait and switch kind of thing where they do a lot of charming when they're on the campaign trail on their path to a seat, on their path to the White House. They get in there, and the major shit that we want done doesn't get done, like canceling student debt. But here we are. Right. Here, here we are. You know, it's like we got to make do with what we got. Um, but also you have the party. We shouldn't have to, but it's like, you know, the president isn't that powerful. He's essentially a talking head, or she is a talking head. Um, vice president, president. But also, you know, the other party, you know, to some degree, you kind of have, I have to respect it, because it's like, you know what you're getting out front. It's like, yeah, we're racist. Yeah, we're homophobic. Yeah, we want black people to stay in the back of the bus. But we know that from Rip. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, is it chaotic? Is it dangerous? Yes. Um, but we know what we're getting. And I think that's been the case, certainly since Nixon, probably. Which is Ooh. the beginning of the Ooh. Admiral right now. Man, I'm telling you. I'm I told you a couple days ago. Playbook that's being played now are all refinements. Not even so, now can I look at Nixon without thinking of the Land of Confusion music video from the 80s. Well, right, because his face, for as long as I have been a human being, 
with a some consciousness of life. His face looks like melted ice cream. I, I'm an old guy. Not that old, but I'm an older guy. Um, <laughs> I was two when Nixon was in Dan- when Nixon resigned. Like no way that Pat Nixon look up from the bed and be like, yes. When he was in the house, I think he was in the house, I can't remember if it was house, in the house or a senator, in Kennedy's era, John Kennedy, like, he would have been significantly younger than our historical reference, you know, for us, our age. He would have been significantly younger, and he still looked the same way, just had darker hair. And it was still pretty dark when he was president, actually, but... It's crazy, but that's the path we we are on. It's the path we've been on. That was launched before him, but he certainly put his foot down. But it's the same playbook now. Like we have the ma- that we have the understanding to counter this. We just won't. I don't know why. I don't understand. Like we've been through this in my lifetime twice. Well, three times if you include Clinton. No, no, no. I'm talking about, like, all of the path of conservatism and the craziness and all that. Like, started with Nixon, which was pre and right after I was born. So I can't claim to have an understanding. Oh, true. That was, like, late 60s. But, like, you know, because I pay attention to history and I, I enjoy it. I have an understanding of Watergate and that situation and Nixon and his play and prior to that. But that that's the playbook that Reagan was playing and that's the playbook that every Republican since Nixon has played because that was the shift. That was the point where it went from Republicans, the party of Nixon, to being the party they are now, which is not the party of Nixon. Not that... Uh, I mean, Lincoln, I said Nixon. They are the party of Nixon. They were the party of Lincoln, they claimed. But let's all go back and say Lincoln, you know, really just wanted people that look like you to just go back where they came from. Don't get me started on um, Lincoln. Because let me tell you, because let me tell you, my path to Lincoln revelations has been really interesting. You know, for the longest time, we were fed in school this idealistic view of Abraham Lincoln of being honest Abe, right? So, you know, going through grade school, it was just like, oh, George Washington, the father of our country, great man, went to war, blah, 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 blah. Abraham Lincoln, so honest, so regal, had the beard and the tall Mr. Peanut hat and met his downfall in the balcony because of um, John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes Booth. I almost said, I was like, oh, how sad, so sad. Then I get to 1619 Project and I'm like, then I get to the Who We Are, the Netflix um, documentary, and I was like, you know, I do not feel bad. That Abraham Lincoln's hat went flying off of that balcony. <laughs> Just saying. But even before that, you know what the first part of that series 
of things was uh, our staycation in 2019 uh, right. to, to the National Museum of African American History. Like, and just, we only got half of it. Not even half, not even a third, not even a fourth. We got to the 15th. Um, so, we were, so we went to D.C., to the to specifically for the African American History Museum. Yeah. Oh, that place is so like grand from outside of it. Like it's oh, so it's, it's such a beautiful structure. A beautiful so we start uh, on the ground floor. Now, when we got down there, it was afternoon. Yeah. Now, we, when this is an all day thing. We went. It's it's a multi day thing. That's let's be clear. Went to the ground floor, started in slavery. Four hours later, we're still in slavery. Yeah, we never... I have, I have been in shambles since. Um, so, about... Back to the impeachment, because, you know, I... Presidents and stuff, <laughs> like, there isn't a good one in the bunch. I mean, some are suave and some are charming, and most are ineffectual, but there really isn't a good egg in politics or American government. But back to the Biden impeachment in, uh, inquiry, McCarthy. Here's, here's the thing. Most presidents really only get two years. Their first two years, if they can't, after the first hundred days, half, I mean, one house of Congress is literally constantly running for re-election, so you're... Like, the House, the fact that the House gets anything done is kind of remarkable because they practically have to start running for re-election the moment they get sworn in. You know. But let, let's talk about impeachment. So, we've, talk, we've talked about Kevin McCarthy being essentially Marjorie Taylor Greene's Would you like me to share with the audience yeah. the impeachment inquiry process from my notes yeah go ahead so so uh per the constitution the house has full authority to charge the president the vice president or other federal officials with wrongdoing through the impeachment process any of these officials may be impeached for charges of treason bribery or other higher crimes and misdemeanors Pin that for real quick. Don't say that. What is an impeachment inquiry? First step taken by the House, lawmaker may submit a resolution that directs the House Judiciary Committee to investigate alleged wrongdoing by the officer. After the probe, if the committee determines the official should be impeached, it writes articles of impeachment and sends, and sends them to the full House for consideration. Any member of the House can request a launch of impeachment proceedings but the decision to proceed is up to the Speaker of the House. <clears throat> House can vote on formalizing in an inquiry, but it's not a requirement by the Constitution. In this case, the House isn't expected to take a vote. An inquiry may increase the committee's access to information with the majority party committee having substantial authority to obtain information from the federal government through their subpoena power. Simple majority vote necessary to pass the impeachment resolution. House votes to impeach. Managers present the case against the official in the Senate trial. The Senate votes on whether to remove the official from office. 
which requires two-thirds vote. So the easiest way to think about this, because that's a lot, and this, our country is woefully inadequate in our generations especially, with civic ed- education, the best way to think about this is the House is a grand jury. And we've heard a lot about grand juries recently with the current matter involving the former president and 91 criminal charges brought by three or four grand juries across the country. Um, So it's kind of the same idea. Like, their job is to investigate and collect information and then more or less make a recommendation to say, hey, this person, a president or other officer of the United States government, pretty much generally meaning anyone who isn't a hired person, but isn't an appointed person or an elected person. So this applies to Supreme Court justices. It applies to cabinet people. It applies to various other people. That's impeachment. It's a process. But the House is the grand jury. Right. The Senate is the court. So right. they try the impeachment. So we've had Donald Trump twice impeached, Oof. twice acquitted. Bill Clinton once impeached, once acquitted. Richard Nixon would have been impeached had he not had the courtesy of his colleagues from Congress saying, we're going to impeach you. And he decided to resign before it could happen. Quit. Take a nice leisurely white privilege stroll with his wife and his uh, his gang to the helicopter out and behind the White House and just peace out. That we all fucking paid for. Well, we didn't because most of probably every of your listeners either were not yet born or babies. Emphasis on privilege, though. Right. Like he just got to quit his job and not like end up in jail. The job on the planet, <laughs> essentially. Although that may be a little bit of American exceptionalism in play. But regardless, a significant personality out of the, at this point, nearly eight billion of us. Um, and at that point, about five. Um, pretty, pretty important guy. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to peace out. Right. Um, let, let the guy that falls down take over. Um, but that's a different discussion. So, continue. So, the idea for, I guess, the focus for Speaker McCarthy and his goons is to get access to Biden and the Biden family's bank records. Because he's of the assumption that the Biden family, Joe, Hunter, maybe the, the school teacher, are hiding. Are are hiding. Biden, yes. The are not disclosing their goings ons financially, internationally. And I'm like. He so he's doing him and his goons are doing this off of the pretense that oh the American people must know. Bitch, we don't care. Right. We didn't care that a president got his dick sucked. 
in his private study that wasn't in the Oval Office. Those lucky women. Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, I mean, not now. I mean, Clinton looks like Skeletor now, but... Because I swear to God, like, I feel like Hillary is sucking the life out of Bill, and she's been doing that since day one. Because he literally looks like Dalsim from Street Fighter. He feels like he's deflated every time we see him. Man, listen. (laughs) I'm like, Bill, I think it's time to put Bill in an ice chamber. Because he just, he looks dry, dehydrated, just poor thing. He's got to be in his 70s, but I know that he has, like, a heart situation yeah, going no, on. Yeah, he, he's, you know, all the, the Big Macs when he was president. <laughs> None of the jogging could have counteracted that. Um, I forget what I was going to say. So, the time, so, on top of that, you know, the bullshit, it's just like, the American people don't give a shit. You're really, you and your goons... Speaker McCarthy are on a witch hunt to to shame Biden the best as you can. Yeah, they're just like this you're right because you know you're starting from a, a vantage point of a belief that Biden is a too old and be not therefore not capable to be president. Um, you know, facilities, capacities at that age tend to like be a little different and then you know there are other there are other opinions that the real target is kamala because two dangers to conservative middle-aged white men are women and people of color and kamala you have both Mm. so you know, there there's that angle where it's just like the real threat to you, white conservatives are people of color and women, right? Um, but you're really just you want us to believe that Biden is the focus, and it's like smoke and mirrors. Um, yeah, I really have a problem with Kamala. Um, Yes, Biden is of a, a certain age, and it's like we don't really care about the the finance stuff. Right. It's and there's not any evidence to support it. So here's the here's the whole thing with it. Like the, the with regards to Biden's age, like okay, yeah, when he should he win? Should he win the, um, you know, he'll be 82 or whatever, uh, 81, 82. But let's not forget that his most likely opponent will be 78. Like, that's, like, they're both old fucks. I mean, granted, one of them is an authoritarian wannabe fascist, or a fascist <laughs> wannabe authoritarian is probably the better way to say it, and the other is just an old dude. But, like, they're both going to be old as fuck. Like, why is that the argument that people are settling on? And 
Although, to be fair, like, the majority of people I hear, or, you know, people meaning, like, politically significant pundits, the, the pundits that I hear talking about Biden's age and the fact that he'll be 82 are Democrats. The Republicans are focused on Hunter Biden and trying to make a financial crime out of not no real evidence of anything that Joe Biden might have been involved in other than the fact that 50-ish years ago he had sex with Jill and Hunter was the 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 output of that. Like there's no evidence beyond that that has is of any legitimacy. That was the other takeaway that I had is that there it's vague and ambiguous and kind of pointless to and we're at a point right now as of the production of this episode where other people in the GOP are looking at McCarthy like be for real bro like going about your business right i mean he's literally like keep trying doing what he can to keep his position Right. Like, up and literally until the moment he announced that press conference and then announced the the inquiry at that press conference, he had been like, no one has brought me enough proof to be justified to that. I thought you were leading into a... So, Hunter Biden is... Facing charges involving guns? Yeah, apparently a gun. And I, I this I'm not up on, so I, I don't want to get too over my, you know, range of knowledge. But from my understanding, with the little bit I've seen in the last day, he was trying to find a plea agreement to avoid a court case or any other stuff and it didn't happen so he's now been indicted on a something about lying on an application for a gun and related charges I think that that's basically what I know right now which of course the people who have decided let's impeach a president who hasn't done anything um, have now are attached to this as well. I also find this very suspicious because of the timing. You know, like I said earlier, the impeachment inquiry <clears throat> into Joe Biden is suspicious to me given the timing that this is going to occur or is happening so close to this upcoming presidential election, right? And whether or not it's successful, it's definitely a distraction. Right. Um, And it's definitely a ploy to kind of undermine, undermine um, Biden's credibility 
Um, like this kind of thing, the impeachment is in itself is not new when it comes to presidencies, but the kind of tactics that just so happen to kind of play out against a sitting president tends to be a, a, a theme the last four or five presidents. And, and that's kind of a, a pattern because that hasn't been how it was. And the intent was for it to be a rare thing that could cover a lot of different bad behaviors, right? In, the, in all elected federal officials and appointed and such. So, like, it, the intent was for it to be for literally, like, the big deal stuff. Not, especially as you go higher in the ranks, right? Like, right. The, the crimes that are impeachment worthy higher up are a lot different than they are at a lower level in the federal appointed elected hierarchy, right? So, like, I mean, the... The whole situation right now is that the intent is to say, see, it's not just the Republican presidents who get impeached twice in the same term. Right. There's this Democrat now, and he's got some dirt. We don't have any proof, but we're also kind of in a post-proof world politically, right? So... That's kind of, it, it's an interesting space, but it wasn't ever intended to be that way. You want to, you want a crazy little piece of trivia as, as we were talking about this the other night, and then I was kind of thinking about now, I found an interesting tidbit of knowledge about impeachment. The first impeachment conviction by the United States Senate was in 1804 of John Pickering, a judge of the United States District Court for the District of New Hampshire, for, take a guess, pick a crime, for which some appointed federal judge in 1804 might have been impeached. Understanding that, like, this is intended for, like, pretty big stuff. Treason. Right, that one's actually spelled out in the Constitution. No. I feel like it's a bribery of some kind. No, also spelled out in the Constitution, to various degrees. I wonder what it is. Chronic intoxication. He was drunk a lot, apparently. And he got impeached. He was the first individual in federal service that got impeached by the United States Senate. Not for, like, you know, interfering with the trans the peaceful transfer of power as we've done for literally every election since the last, other up until the last one. Um, no, he's just drunk a lot. Wow. But we can't, we couldn't impeach the last asshole in the immediate aftermath of literally trying to throw overthrow the peaceful transfer of power of the United States. Right. Because... But a drunk guy in 1804. That was too much. <laughs> Fascinating. Appalling is another 
And I feel like to some degree we're kind of repeating history to where the bar as far as impeachable offenses is still in hell. It's like you couldn't even successfully impeach a sitting president for large offenses. Um, a major one trying to throw overthrow an election, which th- that in and of itself um, just plays right in the face of the integrity of the election process. Like never, never mind the fact that like we had that situation in Florida years ago um, with the, the the recount and all that stuff. You know, when um, Bush that, was... That was the first... Uh, the second... W, election of W. Oh, I thought it was Bush Jr. Um, yeah, that's what it, that Oh, right. So, you know, aside from that, it's just... You have someone sitting... Who was sitting at that time as president. And... Leading up to that point, people just turned a blind eye because everybody was so focused on Hillary and the emails and stuff. But you literally have this guy, you know, hands down with Putin. And and on top of that, you had January 6th. And a whole bunch of other things. Got acquitted twice. But you, the best you can do against Biden is essentially smoke and mirrors about a whole bunch of nothing. Right. There's nothing there. Just like with President Obama. They had to make a scandal out of a tan suit because there was just nothing there. And that's not to say that there aren't myriad Democrats in our nation's storied past that have been sketchy as fuck. But that's not where where we are right now, at least not at this level. So, Well, they're still coming after Obama. If it's not the tan suit, it's, oh, you know, you killed the chef because y'all had a thing, and... Barack is is definitely on the DL and yeah, that's just Michelle's a man. I'm like, really? Yeah, the the like the the whole like Barack Obama's had gay sex just resurfaced recently. I just saw something about it a week or so ago. I'm like, that's like a decade ago or more. Right. I'm like, what? First off, why? He's just a guy that produces TV shows and narrates shit. Like, that's what he does. He's a philanthropist. He's an old guy with some money and likes to do interesting things and, you know, is, like, just cool to listen to. Um, like, leave him alone. What's he just he refused to. Um, like, he's minding his business. Y'all don't bother George W. Bush. He got us into a war that took 20 years to get out of on false pretenses. But a dude wore a tan suit once in the Oval Office is Shut up. So, the other interesting thing 
from this whole, you know, Hunter and the, you know, Joe Biden's thing is that they're trying to use Hunter's work abroad um, to build a case and attempting to impeach President Biden. Um, and when I first heard the Hunter Biden piece earlier this week, um, I was just like, I think it's really, it's really just nothing more than penis envy. Because here's the thing. I, Mr. Fox, the Refuse podcast, had the honor of having in, in fleeting possession of some Hunter um, media. And you've not shared this with me. <laughs> well, it came and went. So, Hunter, and I, and I was in bed last night, right? I was in bed last night thinking of meme, another meme that I could make. So, do you remember the the kombucha lady meme where she takes a sip from the can and she makes a face and then she makes another face? Mm-hmm. Alright, so... Probably earlier in the pandemic, there was a video um, circulating of this... There's a white woman... Drinking a can of kombucha tea. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like our first taste of it. And she smacks her lips a couple of times. And she's like, what? Well. Right. So she does those two things. And I was thinking of a meme. So. Back to Hunter Biden. Earlier this year, there were leaks. Okay. Um, Somebody was able to hack into his iCloud, allegedly, which had endless streams of stuff. Um, Some very personal stuff, some mundane stuff, um, a lot of video. Okay. that weren't like in sequence or like necessarily related. Him like allegedly doing some illicit things with some women mm-hmm. in other countries. Um, naked. Uh, there's like pictures of him eating a sandwich next to a woman asleep in bed with a bonnet on her back to the camera. Um, a bonnet, like a yes, um, and it looked it looks it looked photoshopped because it's like why is this like random white man's head eating a sandwich this close to a half naked woman laying in bed with the bonnet on? Um, there are other there's videos of him getting jacked off with women's feet. 
and not to the point of orgasm, but like he's just he's just laying there in this do me daddy pose, and there's women's feet doing this to his dick. Right. Hunter has a nice size penis. There's a picture of him doing the remote, the TV remote challenge, mm-hmm. which a lot of people can't do, but he can do. Um, allegedly, there's a couple of pictures of him smoking crack. So the meme that I thought about was her first face, a crackhead. The second face, a hung crackhead. Um, so that was, that was an interesting 24, 48 hours. And I think I talked about it on the podcast last season. Um, and I still have some of that media. All right. So we're going to have to talk. Um, yeah, we're going to have a a private Sundance viewing after recording. Um, but you know, when I say witch hunt, yes. This big screen TV right here. When I say witch hunt, it's like grasping for straws, trying to drum up some stuff. And it's like, none of y'all, at the end of the day, are clean. Right. Um, And with Biden and his son both being lawyers, um, just like Hillary and Bill are lawyers... They they know their way around, you right. know what I mean. They know their their uh, they know the gift of gab and double talking and not like I wouldn't say swindling, but they can definitely they definitely know how to uh, monopolize the situation. And they can answer without answering. Right. Yeah. Um. So that's not to say that Hunter and Joe can't um you know they know when to speak they know when not to you know joe sometimes has a 40 and slip while he's mic'd up but joe is also like older than the bible so there's a famous clip clip uh quote of him from years and years ago and i never get it quite right but the gist of it is is Everyone knows I mean what I say, but sometimes I say more than I mean. <laughs> there right. was something along those lines. Like he overtalks himself a lot. I get it. So, with what we know at this point, <clears throat> yeah. like I'm of the firm belief that this will ultimately lead to a whole bunch of nothing. Like it won't, probably won't make it past the house. They'll probably get... It, it might make it past the House before the next election. Okay. Only because there's enough... It, it'll, it'll be strictly with Republican support. Because they have the majority. They have a, a few seats in the majority right now. It probably wouldn't... He wouldn't be convicted in the Senate. But that's not the point. Right. The point is to say, see, he got impeached too. Because most people don't recognize that in being impeached has nothing to do with being convicted. Right. Like, Clinton was impeached. Trump was impeached twice. 
but this gives them something to say if they can make it happen now as we are where are we mid we're middle of september the first primary is the later half of january next year we're four four or five-ish months away this gives them ammunition it doesn't matter that if the senate convicts that's a bonus if the senate were were to that's a bonus Sort of. They don't really want that to happen, though. Because there's a strong, younger, reasonably liked vice president that they would plop into position a year before the general election. They don't want to do that. Oh, interesting I mean, thought. I mean, that's kind of a thought. I mean, I don't know if that's their thought, but, like, why would they? Like, that's a risk. But just being able to say, see, he got impeached by the House. They can leverage that whole, like, not understanding the difference between what the House does in an impeachment and what the Senate's role is. Which right. is to say, yeah, he's guilty, or no, they're not. They don't need that. What they need is to say, see, just like Trump. And that's just with those American people. Yeah, it's 33-ish percent. They're like, that's all I need to, that's all I need to confirm my anti-Biden, Kamala, whatever. That, that that fuels them. That drives their turnout. But the second part of the, the, the benefit they're really looking for is the squishy middle. And specifically the conservative-leaning portion of the squishy middle, the, ind- the so-called independents. The ones who allegedly vote for the best, right? Right. Both sides have 30-ish, 30 to 40% like locked in. It's that 15 to 20% in the middle that everyone that everybody is fighting over. Right. So they just need to get So they have 33, 34 depending on the survey and what's going on. So they just need the difference between 50% plus one vote. So, was that 17%? Yeah. Plus one vote. That's what they're, that's what the battle is. More or less on both sides, but that's kind of what the battle is, is really. That's where they're trying to get. They're trying to get that centrist, Willing to go either way, doesn't affiliate with either party kind of person. But they're really not even looking for that 30-ish percent. They're looking at that 15-ish percent. That's soft, but leans conservative. They're the fiscally conservative, socially liberal section of the unaffiliated. 
that's who they're going for. They're trying to tip those people to the Republican side. It's them and those former Trump voters who are like, yeah, we don't want him back. Like, you see them in the media all the time, right? You see them on the news all the time. Like, every time the reporters go to the diner in the middle of America, like, right? It's always middle-aged white people who are like, yeah, we voted for him two times, but we need to move on. And everyone's like, oh, like, those are votes that are going to go the other way. That's not what they're saying. They're saying they don't necessarily want Trump. But they're not saying they won't vote for him if he's the nominee. And they're also not saying that they're going to vote for a Democrat in a primary. They're going to vote for DeSantis. They're going to vote for the dude who wants to lay off 50% of the federal government or something. Or somebody else. They're not going to go the other way. They're still over there. So just everybody needs to keep that in mind. That's kind of scary when I think about it. Um, But I also know that politics and government and the political process, the election process is not black and white. And it's not, it's not a, it's not a concept of transference. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, if you don't, vote Democrat or any vote that doesn't go to one particular party is lost to the other or is lost to a lesser, uh, a less popular party or doesn't count. Um, and it's like, no, that's not how that works. And unfortunately, a lot of Chaos and hysteria and um, ignorance just stems from this fear that um, if this person if this person doesn't get in, um, everything's just going to fall to the wayside. When in all actuality, neither person or neither any of the candidates is better than the other you know everybody pleads their well pleads everybody has their their position and their speech ready when they're you know doing the town halls and stuff like that um but they're at the end of the day they're all playing the same game just trying to to be the best salesman. Yeah, I mean, that's politics in a nutshell. It's, it's sales, right? Right. Um, but the where I was going, though, is just... we Every four to eight years, from what I've seen, just from the past ten or so years, right... We've gotten to a point where 
fear and hysteria is driving a lot of our decisions. Um, and unfortunately, major decisions as far as the presidency and the vice presidency. Um, and we've gotten to a point when it comes to where we are with the two that we have in the House now, the White House now, is that in a way we've imploded into ourselves. You know, it's it's years of thinking, oh, you know, if we get Republicans in, um, we'll, we'll be great. And it's like, now looking back, we weren't that good. Um, you had a lot of decisions made in the 80s and the 70s by men that were of the old school. Um, didn't necessarily evolve with the times didn't quite want to get involved in evolving with the times. Uh, um, we got to a point by the late 80s, early 90s, where some of us realized that that wasn't the way to go. But we got to a point when it came to like Clinton where it was just like, Oh, somebody new, somebody younger, somebody a little bit cooler, who ultimately, like, kind of struggled through his second term. Just because his past caught up with him. Um, again, you know, the first in my, in the history of my life, from what I remember, the first major um, witch hunt was, you know, trying to take down Bill and Hillary. Um, ultimately because a lot of people in-house within the political world didn't personally care for either one of them. Right. More so Hillary than, than Bill. Um, yeah. It's just that Bill, unfortunately, just could not keep his hands and his penis... To himself. Or certainly to his wife. Right. Which is certainly the expectation in our society. Right. In and, regard for whatever their deal was, but that's a different thing. Um, so, and this is, this is coming from me, somebody that in, in the 1990s, um, grade school, middle school going into high school, um, a passing acquaintance with um, the path uh, through Clinton's presidency, impeachment, Monica, Linda, all that stuff. Um, at some point in real time, the primary focus was how could Linda tape Monica without her permission, right? Um, like that got more coverage on the TV in my, in my house. Um, they didn't talk so much about the stain on the dress, you know, the star report. They, they couldn't really talk too much about that on the news. Um, 
but it was just like they they ran us through all of that and the best that they could really do you know in parallel to Paula and some of the other ladies in his past the best that they could do don't start I know what you're thinking dramatic turn um So, so they they went through all of that, and the best that they could do was that he perjured himself. But he, at the end of the day, he ultimately was able to fulfill his second term. Yeah. So for me, it's like. This Biden thing is, what, the second or third one impeachment attempt in my lifetime. And I walk away from each one saying, this is nothing more than a witch hunt. Yeah, I mean, and to an extent because of the polarization of our society which has existed in my lifetime pretty much the whole time to some degree or another. Like, yeah, it's kind of, if you're on the side of the person who's under the threat of impeachment, yeah, it's a witch hunt. But that's the whole point. That's the intent of the bipartisan body that has to do the investigation and the other one that has to do the, the trial, right? Like, that's the whole intent, to smooth out that polarization a little bit and be essentially, as a whole, an impartial body listening to both sides and then making a decision. Like, that's the intent of the whole thing, but we're not politically as a society in a position where that's how it actually works. Right. That's why we've had so many in our lifetimes. You know, before Clinton, it was at the presidential level, Nixon. And before that, it was, fuck, probably a hundred years, if not more, prior. Right. You know, so, like, it, it is intended to be a rare thing for what the Constitution says is high crimes and misdemeanors, which is, like, some of it's kind of intuitive, but it can go all the way down to, apparently chronic intoxication in the federal level. You know, like, so... But the point being is it wasn't intended to be... Like, we've had this happen... In our lifetimes, with the exception of... From from Clinton forward, one president, and that was George W. Bush, which is a whole other discussion about things that maybe perhaps someone actually should have been impeached for, but let's leave that alone. <laughs> let's just say, like, it's a pattern at this point. It's like, you don't like the guy, you're the losing side. Let's try and impeach him. I fear that we're kind of there to where this is going to lose its importance. Like, it's intended to be a, like a critical thing for the health of our democracy. Right, not just something you pull out of the hat because you don't like somebody. Right, I mean, 
Yeah, where we were laughing about chronic intoxication, but that's a lower level. A federal district court judge is important, but probably on the whole not destabilizing to democracy if they're just a booze hound. Mm. The intent is like really important at the level we're talking about right now. This is bullshit. Right. Interfering with the peaceful transfer of power is serious. It's a high crime, I think, pretty clearly, right? Right. (laughs) So, share with us... Mr. Fox, the I Refuse podcast, and our lovely audience that listens to the podcast, wherever you find your music and your podcast. Go go into this piece about misdemeanors. Because remember, we, we talked about it a little bit before we got on today. Mm-hmm. You wanted to expound on that? Well, I, I just looked up some stuff because I'm, I'm a geek, so hi. Um... But high crimes and misdemeanors is is part of Article 2, Section 4, which covers impeachment. And so I looked it up a little bit because I was curious because I kind of know and I kind of remember. And high crimes is pretty self-explanatory. That You put the word high in front of something, it sounds like it's going to either be huh? fucked up and fun <laughs> or really serious, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> right, so it could go either way, but in the context... Probably at the time, and now, high crimes is probably not a lot of fun. So, I looked it up. High, in the legal and common vocabulary of the 17th, 18th centuries, of high crimes is the activity by or against those who have special duties acquired by taking an oath of office that is not shared with ordinary persons. Right? So, a sworn officer of the United States. Right. Which is what the Constitution says, essentially. Um, So the phrase, high crimes and misdemeanors used together was a common phrase when the Constitution was written and didn't require any stringent or demanding criteria of determining guilt, but meant the opposite. The phrase was historically used to cover an extensive extensive range of crimes. And and there's a lot of different things I, I looked up, but the gist of it is, is it gave us the ability as a society to say, that person's not representing us as a whole. They're doing something that it goes against the good of our society. Okay. And so in the context of then, misdemeanor was, I mean, kind of what it is. Behavior. It's bad behavior. You've done something that is of outside the realm of our expectation. You're not above the law. This is the catch-all, kind of, is my thought on it if that makes a little bit of sense. In the UK, the term has covered things ranging from misappropriating government funds, so stealing from the government, appointing unfit subordinates, so being a director and appointing an ass bag for your deputy, that could get you impeached in the UK. Um, Benjamin Franklin said the power of impeachment and removal was necessary for those times when the executive had rendered himself obnoxious. I could almost imagine just based on our historical knowledge of Ben Franklin and saying that, oh, you're obnoxious, you should be be off with you. Um, uh, And rendered himself 
obnoxious, and the Constitution should provide for the regular punishment of the executive when his conduct deserves it, and honorable acquittal when he's been unjustly accused. Madison had similar, you know, shit to say. Basically, they said, if, you, if we elect a guy and he's bad for us, we should be able to make him go away. Ah. But it should be for serious things, not, you know, proportionately serious, apparently, because, again, the first guy to be impeached was just drunk. <laughs> Which, to, to be fair, probably having someone responsible for interpreting the laws of the United States, I'm thinking sobriety should be, like, the baseline. Right? Right. Like, it's not an unreasonable thing to fire somebody, right? You could get fired for being drunk at work. It's kind of the same. It's just funny that it's covered by the law and the an important piece of the Constitution that really was built on the fact that we need to be able to throw the bad... If the, the chief executive is, is bullshit, we should be able to fire him pretty easily. You know, with a significant effort, but we should be able to do it. For the good of all Makes sense. I'm just not seeing it for um, McCarthy to go against Biden. I mean, I I know there are people behind the scenes putting batteries in his back. Um, right. But it's like, nobody cares about finances. What most of us are pissed about is the fact that Biden didn't cancel student debt like he said he would. Right. And, like, kept moving the goalposts. But I'm of I'm of a particular age where it's just like, I know it was just a bunch of fluff to get into, to get the job. Um, and I know that the position of the president doesn't yield a lot of power. He's essentially at the mercy of the House and the Senate. Yeah, it's um, to be a week. So I knew that that wasn't going to fly on either side, especially the Republican side. Um, can, can I ask a question? Sure. Do you feel that he did, did what he could within the bounds of what he was able to do, recognizing that to really make anything meaningful, it would have to be through the legislature to some degree but also the reason why i don't say i don't lean fully into a yes answer is because biden is not new to government biden is not new to being a senate member sitting in committees being in the house uh sitting in on you know, the, the kind of, you know, hearings, you know. Yeah. he knows how that side works. He knows how it works, and he he knows the, the, the blessing and the curse of double-talking. He knows how to play the game. Um, and, you know, to, to a certain degree, I can respect it, but at the same time, it's like, whatever whatever language or whatever uh, whatever conversation was had to inspire 
um, or convince Biden to double back on what he promised initially. Um, because, you know, the cancellation of student debt, when that was even mentioned, you know, a lot of people were setting themselves on fire about it. Mm. Um, a lot of people that didn't even go to school were coming at us kind of crazy. Um, people that just paid off their student loans within the year or so of him get, getting into office. Some were like, I mean, it is what it is. Others were like, that's not fair. Or, you know, I've paid this long into it. Why Why do recent graduates get a free ride? And it's just like, whether you paid into it X amount of years or you just it accrued the debt, canceling it across the board, in my opinion, would have... Um, freed of a lot of people from considerable amount of debt that was keeping them from um, finally achieving a suitable living reflective of the education that they got. Right. So, and it's a mentality that we have as a, have had as a society for a long time, but has become more and more pronounced now that like. Oh, because you got something that wasn't available to me, I've been cheated cheated or right. discriminated against. Instead of saying, for the good of us all, just like, okay, that was the situation that was in existence when I undertook a debt right. for my education. Why is why are we in this position as a society that we can't see how when we all move up that everybody moves up? Like they're not being left behind by the fact that you didn't have to pay that debt. Right. The fact that you didn't have to pay that debt puts more money into the economy, which because we are a capitalist society, does actually, if it works properly, lift everybody, right? We know in reality that the money goes all to the rich people. But that's the theory under which the whole thing operates. So, I have a couple of... Sorry. Me, yeah. I, I hadn't quite gotten to the full... So, like, I... I get it, because it's this latent, like, recognition that real in reality, we all get fucked by this. Because ultimately, the people that will find a way to benefit from the new money coming into society by the fact that a whole generation of college graduates now no longer have student debt, is that they win. For fuck's sake, we had a pandemic where still millions of people have, you know, across the planet, millions of people have had this disease and died. Right. Over nearly one and a half million in this country, right? And somehow, all the assholes at the top made a whole bunch of money while the rest of us got $1,400. It's going to be the same thing, and that's what is the, the galling bullshit about it, is that it, no matter what happens with student debt, ultimately none of us will benefit. 
Right. Um, so, to answer a question you asked a couple of seconds ago, um, I had a couple of theories as to what's keeping people from realizing that you know the good and the the good and the benefit to that would have come to canceling everybody's student debt regardless of where one person is with theirs in relation to somebody else in relation to their their debt A, we can't we can't get out of our own way. Um, that's that's the major thing, right? And then when you dig a little bit deeper, you know there are still a considerable amount of people out here that even given every five to ten years in the media, how the stock market is just always on the fringe of crashing. Um, how larger corporations get bailed out. How, you know, no matter what the rest of us do for a living or no matter what kind of choices that we make, um, when it comes to, like, higher education or any anything in pursuit of what we think will improve our lives. There's always going to be a, a fun, uh, economical imbalance to where rarely will anything be in our favor. Right. Um, it'll, it'll be more, if things were to fail again, the corporations get theirs first. They'll get bailed out. Um, and we may see... Uh, maybe right. um, even with that even with the awareness that we've had you know uh, what was it Black Fridays and Black Mondays and um, we've had uh, recessions and stuff like that people still can't help but feel like feel elitist in some way or still feel grand and and more deserving than the next person because they did what everybody else is doing and that's pay some debts off like whether you believe it or not or whether you you hate capitalism or no matter what your opinion is of capitalism it's everything is a business out here and unfortunately whether you believe it or not you need money to live and sustain yeah um and yeah there are you know shitty landlords and there are like shitty like business arrangements and you know the kind of business relationships where we're paying more and receiving less. Yeah. Um, but even with that reality, people still have that that um, that old age idea that oh, because 
I've paid into something repeatedly or I'm doing, or I'm doing the right thing. Um, that I feel it's not fair that you, a person I've never met, I don't know what your financial situation is. I just know that you too have student debt. And and now it looks like you won't have to pay if you have a little bit or you've not paid as much as I have. I'm bothered by that. But it's like... And you should be. Yeah, I mean, sure, you should be. But at the end of the day, we're all part of the same fucking economy. Right. Um, And unfortunately, having debt plays right into the credit score system, which is a whole other thing that is discriminatory against people of color and black people that has not always been around since the start of time. It's actually, it, they actually started it in like the late eighties. Um, but you know, I, I brought that up to say, you know, part of the, a large part of the discourse when it came to Biden's proposal to cancel student debt was around, um, I guess, the coded languaging. And some people are just not um, aware 100% as to what they're actually saying when they say, um, or when they have a problem with um, the possibility that student loans would be canceled. Um, and there was, there was something, there was something on LinkedIn around that time. I think I shared it on my LinkedIn. Um, it was like two or three paragraphs. I wish I could remember verbatim. Um, but it was essentially like, you know, when you say ABC, you're actually saying XYZ against, you know, black people, people of color. Um, and it went, it was just like, it was so fascinating. So it was, it was, it hit, it hit the point right on the head because it's like, you wouldn't be as bothered if it was other white people. Like if I'm being totally honest on this podcast, um, like it, when we think of financial aid, when we think of um, government assistance, when we think of student loans as a whole, what demographic do, does our mind go to? Right. Right. So. What people need need to realize is that when I when I say you know people are complaining about it, there everybody that has relied on student aid, I have um, after my GI Bill ran out. Um, like it's not a bad thing, but we all know that. A majority of people on financial aid are people that look like me. Mm-hmm. And people that take issue with 
that possible the debt that they accrued through that being canceled by the government we all know what that means like it's coded in discrimination it's coded in in racism because you know student debt financial aid just like the whole conversation that's been going on for years about welfare and and WIC and you know assistance that people need you know everybody's quiet when you know about white people using it mm-hmm. um and nobody wants to acknowledge that but this is all like a this is all a systemic historical thing um and the gov- and the government plays directly into that um keeping the stereotype alive um and trying to to legal go through the legalities you know and you know try to like try to shame you know shame us and stuff um prime example when bush senior was president he was trying to make it to where people on welfare had to walk around with like really big uh the really big uh coupons and welfare tickets and money mm-hmm. and stuff that was just like the shit so it's just like we just people just can't get out of their own way and they can't help but feel like oh you know education is such a a coveted thing and it's so and it's so this and it's so that and you know if i've been paying into my debts something that everybody does um i have a really big problem with everybody else's stuff being canceled as well as mine and not and not everybody felt like that like you know you had a lot of people that look like me that also pursued higher education right um and for the last 10 or so years got to a point to where they made their final student loan payment um right around the time that Biden started to get comfortable in his first 6 months as president didn't make a big issue about what Biden was suggesting um was from the gate like what you know when he first said that he was going to cancel all of it then it was like oh well maybe 20 uh maybe 10 the the whole idea is definitely one of those where you know people really show themselves to be who they really are like they honestly did not want our debt to be canceled because they didn't want us to have equal footing with them that's ultimately what it came down to um so that's where i'm at with it um it so me personally i started paying when i was an undergrad and then it jumped 
And I was like, uh, my pay for my job doesn't move like that. <laughs> like, I can pay the 50 or the 90 a month or every two weeks, but when you jump from 90 to close to 200, and I'm, I'm only a GS7. Right, and this is pre-pandemic. So, uh, it, so now it's looking like starting next month, it'll be like ninety, which I could, I could probably swing. Um, and my student loan is not that bad. It's like seventy-eight thousand. Um, so we'll see. So that's where I'm at with it. It's just like, we really, we know what it's really about. Yeah. I, I mean, it's always been that way. It has. I mean, to some degree or another, that's what happens when you plug capitalism into anything, really. But it also doesn't work particularly well in democracy right and there are times where one kind of overpowers the other and we're kind of in that that's why we haven't been able to do anything with climate change it's why we're social tell me about it you know divisions that we're in right now it's all related to that imbalance like there's nothing to say that the two can't work okay together there's always struggle but that's probably true in any political and economic system i guess but like we should be able to find a balance that lets society work and lets people that need help get help without it being stigma and without it being a thing and honestly everybody we're, we are equal, we should be treated equally, period. Nothing else to say. One, one could dream. One could dream. I mean, it's um, aspirational. We've, the, the nation is aspirational. That's something we all have to remember. Even when we're getting it wrong, the goal is always to try it's in our founding document, right? So if we wrote that and we continue to believe it, we should always want to try to achieve it. But you have to be able to recognize all the times where you don't. And when you get into the whole, like, oh, well, the other critical race theory and shit like that, that's what that's about. We don't want to acknowledge our past. We can't move forward. We can't get, we'll never get there, ever, if we can't say, yeah, that was fucked up. We shouldn't have done that can't change what we did, but we can certainly do better going forward. And we can't do that until we can say, yeah, I was fucked up. Um. I was going to ask you, did you think, do you think uh, Joe's a traitor? <laughs> Welcome to Trader Joe's. Have you found everything you were looking for? No. It's stupid. It it is. 
I mean, at this point... But you want to know what's funny. Uh, yes, all the time. Um, not for nothing, um, Joe Biden has been a great meme. I mean, he's certainly good feel for that. So, maybe this was like the first year where um, everywhere you looked... It was about Joe and that damn dog or a new cat or something. So there was a meme. So there was a meme where it was a hand drawing or a cartoon. On the left side was like a pig pen type of character. You know pig pen from the peanuts. Where the caption was Joe, we're hungry. We need money. We're starving. And on the right, it's a cartoon or a caricature of Joe Biden eating ice cream saying, I just bought a new cat. I was like, y'all ain't shit. But if it's not that, it's uh, him falling off the bike, um, him tripping over sandbags, um, him in the pen. Where he's like, <laughs> I will always, to the day I die, be a fan of Joe Biden. Yeah, Joe's cool with me. I've always enjoyed Joe Biden. <coughs> and honestly, wouldn't have been my first choice, but. Maybe we kind of needed uh, someone that could just kind of let us breathe a second. Yeah, we need like we, that might have been two terms of that. I, I, I don't know, but maybe it might have been good to just have kind of a calm, relatively thing in that office. What we need now is for him to be loud. And for the rest of the Democrats to be like, hey, hold on. While we have your attention. Mm -hmm. Just a second. All of that shit we just went through, we don't want to do that again. That's, you know, like... My problem has less to do with him having been elected. My problem is... This is... Being low-key Joe is not going to get us there. Yeah, he's got to start like, fucking some shit up. God, as a party, could they argue emotion? Point at them and say, these people are trying to kill democracy. They are actively planning to kill democracy. Say it. For fuck's sake. Joe's like... I need a nap. I Let need... him take a nap. Let Kamal Harris say, those people are trying to fucking kill democracy. I've had my 12 o'clock nap. I've had my, I've had my 12.30 nap. Hey, 12.45 nap. I've watched two episodes of Madlock. <laughs> Madlock. <clears throat> One ep- Madlock. Two episodes of Empty Nest. 
Tonight on Empty Nest. I've had my three o'clock nap. And now I'm watching Oprah. Is she not show anyone? Or does she just wear terrible, terrible glasses? And well, enjoy being a billionaire. So about Oprah. <laughs> Please, can we talk about her terrible, terrible big round glasses that make her big round face look even bigger and rounder? And I love Oprah, for the record. <laughs> Uh, about I lean left or right with Oprah. So can you believe? You know what I mean. Like tolerate probably is a better word than love. But anyway. So did you see that Oprah and The Rock had the audacity to ask the rest of us peasants to donate to Hurricane uh, the. I think it's hurricane relief or the the Hawaii situation. Yeah, well, whatever. I'm like, Oprah the Winfrey. Right. The same. A television network, a a production studio, a magazine, a a school in Africa somewhere. Right. You could literally (laughs) listen. You could literally buy. A new Hawaii. Right. But you want to get on our TV that some of us are still making payments on. Asking for money. Asking for money. Girl, do you write a check? Where's the check? What's going on? Like, why y'all on television? I'm like, Oprah, you are barely out the darkness from what you did to Michael Jackson. But that's another that's another episode for another day. But yeah, um, I'm good on Oprah right now. Um, I'm good on Stedman. I'm good on The Rock. You know, he can stick to making 500 movies a year. Um, who knows? So, a little tangent, a little uh, derailment there. Um, so, we had the RFU's podcast. Wish Joe Biden the best. Um... We're going to get up off of here, and I'm going to show Mr. Great some of my Hunter finds. Um, Some of which, right, it's a Friday night, and Friday nights are right for fighting. And also Yeah, so some of his stuff has made it to xvideos.com. Yeah. Again, his dick getting jerked off by women's feet. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to see women's feet jerking off a crackhead's dick? I'm surprised there's not reality TV about it, to be honest. I know, somebody get TLC on the um, phone. So, it's been great. Be sure to check out the I Refuse podcast and all its uh, spinoff shows. Wherever you get your music and your podcasts, don't forget the YouTube channel. The Twitter at I Refuse Podcast, the Instagram at I Refuse Podcast underscore between the words. It's been great to have Mr. Great on the podcast again. He is one of my all time favorite guests. Um, and great producer. He gets my volume right, he gets my audio right. He helps me with, you know, little sprinkles. 
that we give you here on the on the episodes. Um, so we got the Iron Fuse podcast, the Iron Fuse podcast after dark, and the usual suspects. Um, you want to say anything, Mister Great? Yes. So Episode of the I Refuse podcast. Tune in next time where some sort of bullshit will happen. <laughs>